Well, good morning. It's great to be with y'all and to meet so many uh, guests. I feel like this morning I've just had the chance to meet a lot of people who are here for the first time or you came last week and you're back today. We love, love that you're here. This is the week, second week of a series we called I'm Good, Not Really. And the premise of the series is that while I don't know about you. I, I really enjoy living here. I love our community. I love East Cobb. love North Atlanta. I love being a part of this community. It's a beautiful place uh, to live, some great people. But every community has challenges. And in this series, we're talking about four unique challenges to living here. And last week, we talked about achievement. Today, we're going to talk about anxiety. Next week, we'll talk about affluence. And then on the fourth week, we're going to talk about apathy. And the idea is that it's easy to walk up to people like it would be to walk up to most of you and say, how you doing? And our response is, what? You tell me, how you doing? Not really, all right? Yeah, I'm good, but maybe under the surface, there's something else. And today we're gonna talk about anxiety. It was probably five years ago now. I was having a meal with somebody with whom I had to have a very difficult conversation. I'll keep the details fairly vague, but I was really stressed leading up to this meal and confronting this person with something. And we had the meal and we dealt with some things that need to be dealt with. And I got back in my car to drive back home and the craziest thing happened. I never had it happen to me before. I was driving down the road and it was as if this black cloud descended onto my car and on me, and I got tunnel vision, and my heart started to race, and I felt like I was having chest pains, and and I come from a family of many men who have died early of heart attacks, so I got nervous about that. I I made it to our house somehow, and Tarek and my wife was there, and I struggled to breathe. I was hyperventilating, And, and looking back, I was having a panic attack. I haven't had many, if any, since then. And who knows, maybe I'll have more in the future. But I've had my own issues of anxiety to deal with because I'm a human and you're a human and all of us, to some degree, deal with stress, anxiety, worry, burdens. And there is a spectrum, of course. You got general anxiety that everyone faces. And then, of course, there's more clinical, diagnosed anxiety that people deal with, but all of us deal with anxiety. And today's message has an interesting word attached to it because I've called it the anxiety opportunity. Now, I got to admit that I stole that title. I mean, I just, I just completely ripped that title off of a book called The Anxiety Opportunity that I did not write. And this is actually a great book that I've enjoyed reading, have benefited greatly from this author and what he says about anxiety. Like any book, it's, it's from a human, it's not the Bible. It's not like I agree with 100% of every single word in here. But it's a great resource for you if you wanna take a next step in dealing with or addressing anxiety. It's something that a lot of people deal with and you may wonder, well, why are we talking about it here in East Cobb, North Atlanta? Because everyone everywhere deals with anxiety. That is true, but you know there are a number of studies that say that more affluent communities struggle with anxiety at a greater level for a whole host of reasons. Now, today we're going to drop the second episode of what we're calling Continuing the Conversation. 
if you logged on last week to our YouTube channel, you, you saw that we had part one with Melissa King. Today is part two. And in today's video, she talks a lot about anxiety, particularly raising kids, teenagers, and some of the struggles that they face. But I, I asked her a series of questions. I want you to see a brief part of this video where I ask her just to help us think about what is the difference between worry and anxiety. So I thought this would be helpful. Let's check this out. Is there a way to define anxiety? Uh, meaning, what, what, is there a clinical definition of anxiety or some practical definition you use? I mean, how, what is the difference between general worry mm-hmm. and being technically anxious about something? How, how do you help discern that in people's lives? Yeah, well, there is a diagnostic manual in the mental health world called the DSM-5, and they, that's at the fifth edition, so they kind of keep updating it every few years. And so I actually looked it up because I do have to refer to that, but I looked up just to kind of refresh and remember because they do change things here and there. But it typically centers around, they say, excessive worry and inability to control worry. So here's what I would say the difference practically that I will see in my office is all of us can have worries or just thoughts that pop in our head or maybe gravitate sometimes towards negative thinking patterns. Different people that struggle with worry will you hear something, maybe a kid hears something even on the news. You know, every other kid maybe who doesn't struggle with worry hears that and thinks, oh, well, that's scary or that's, I don't like that. And they can move right on. A kid who, or an adult even who excessively worries and has an inability to cope, that just gets stuck for them. And they are stuck on that thought or that scary image or, you know, just something really fearful and they just can't move past it. Does that make sense? And so, and some of the other things they say is sleeplessness, sleep disturbances, irritability, a lot of emotional outbursts, which could be crying, but could be anger you know, could be all different kinds of things because if you're constantly living in that state of not being able to work through your negative thoughts or not being able to work through worry, it puts you at a state of high agitation. Anxiety reveals itself in your life in different ways. It could show up in struggles to sleep. It could struggle with heart palpitations, uh, gut issues, dizziness, inability to focus. Basically, when we come up with or against difficult circumstances, it triggers in us a fight or flight response. And most of us tend to do one or the other. Some of you are more fighters. Some of you tend to flee those things and avoid those things, but we tend to function around our anxiety. In fact, it would be safe to say that a lot of you have become the successes you have at work and in sports because of your anxiety. Sometimes it's actually your anxiety that's fueling your ability to do what you do, but it often will come with a cost. Today, I want to stay in my lane. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a pastor. And God's word has a lot to say about anxiety. And I think that if we frame it in the way God talks about it, we will see anxiety as an opportunity. I want us to look today at what might be the most famous passage in the New Testament that talks about anxiety and is found in the New Testament letter to the Philippians. So if you would take your Bible and flip to the Philippians, that would be great. And we'll be, I'll be here all week, tip your waiter. Uh, We'll be here, we'll be in chapter four, verse six and seven. Philippians four, six and seven. A lot of you 
probably know this verse or have this verse semi-memorized. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, and as soon as you get there in your Bible, would you stand up? Love to read this, and we stand in honor of God who has given us his word. So let's listen what God says, of course, through his spirit, through Paul, who is writing this from a jail cell of all places. And this is what he says to the church at Philippi and indirectly to us today. Verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, all of us in this room are needy people. We all have burdens, we all have worries. And I pray, Father, today that you would give us what you promise in this text. And I pray that you would move in a powerful way in the service such that we would acknowledge our need for you and our need for one another. God, would you cut out the distractions? Would you help us to focus on you and your spirit? And God, would you talk to us through your word? And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this message, I have a fairly easy outline to follow. Thinking about anxiety, I wanna talk about the problem of it, the promise associated with it, and the process that helps us to deal with it. And I wanna go ahead and set up the end. As you notice, I'm up here a little bit earlier than I normally get up here to speak to you, and it's because we wanna leave some room on the back end of our service for you to respond to whatever it is that God's leading you to do. If you look in your worship guide, you see that the very first fill in the blank says, a burden I'm carrying right now, and then it gives you a fill in the blank. Everyone in this room is carrying some kind of a burden. What would you write in, in that line? Maybe it's a word or a short sentence. Maybe some of you might write family. Maybe you're having some relational difficulties in your family. A lot of you, a lot of our friends are dropping off their kids in college, and that does bring with it anxiety. Maybe you would write finances. Maybe your business is struggling. Maybe while no one else knows it, your finances are crumbling. Maybe you might write my health. And that's a burden that you're carrying right now. Maybe it would be guilt from past mistakes or sins or bad choices. Maybe these and other things are the kind of things you would write. And, and what I'm gonna do at the end of the service is I'm gonna ask you to bring that burden before the Lord and even have you come up if you feel led to come pray up here or with people. We don't normally do that. It's not kind of part of our normal culture every single Sunday. But I do hope and pray that today's the day that will be different. Let's look at this subject of anxiety and then let's figure out how we can give our burdens to the Lord and reframe it as an opportunity. First, the problem. The problem, of course, addressed in this situation is how do we handle anxiety? He says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. 
the word for anxiety is a fascinating word in the Greek. That's the language of the New Testament. The, the word picture associated with it is to be divided or to pull apart. So if you're anxious, your mind is in two different places. That you feel divided, your heart is torn, you're, you're all over the place. You can't concentrate, you can't focus, or you can only focus on one thing and not something else. You are divided, you're pulled apart. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, verb tenses matter a lot in, in the New Testament. And by that mean, uh, the Greek language is different than the English, English in that way. And the verb tense for this verb associated with not being anxious is in the present active tense. Now, you're going, what does that have to do with anything? What that means is that the assumption is that this is something you do over and over and over and over again. In fact, the word for anxiety is used several different times in the New Testament. In Philippians 2, Paul talks about that he is anxious or concerned for his ministry partner, Epaphroditus. So the same Paul who says, don't be anxious, is the same one who said he was anxious for his friend, Epaphroditus. And I think that normalizes it to say, hey, everyone struggles with this. Everyone deals with this on some level. And here is a definition of anxiety. Now, this isn't a technical definition. Maybe this is more the effect of anxiety. But anxiety at its core is a fear of a future loss. Most of the time, when we are anxious for something, our minds and our bodies are hijacked into the future. And, and we think about what if, what if, the doctor says this, what if I don't survive? What if my, bank goes, my business goes bankrupt? What if my kid doesn't get in that college? What if he doesn't make that team? What if, it's all about the future and it's all about what if, and a lot of us are what ifing ourselves to death. And it's because we have something that we value, which might be health or our kid's success or our business success or a whole number. We value that thing and we are so scared to death of losing it in the future and anxiety takes us into the future. And we have a choice to make when we feel like we are anxious. And here's the choice. Anxiety can either be an obstacle or it could be an opportunity. One way of looking at anxiety is to think about about it like an obstacle, meaning it's something that we've got to get rid of. And if I haven't gotten rid of it, it must mean I'm not very good at overcoming that obstacle. That's the way a lot of people feel about anxiety. There's some magic prayer you can pray. There's some one thing you can do and it will go away. And if it doesn't go away, then it must be an obstacle I can't overcome. And I must be less of a Christian than maybe you because I can't seem to get rid of it in my life. That's what a lot of people feel because we treat it like an obstacle that is a problem we can eradicate. But I think the key to understanding this text in Philippians 4, which some people think about like a clobber verse, right? I mean, you, you hear this verse, Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, with petition, make a request, be known to God. And we think, well, I'm, that's great, but I'm still anxious. And I, I can't seem to get past my anxiety. I can't seem to, to, to fix it. I can't seem to cure it. And, and people give well-meaning advice that doesn't help. Like, have you ever noticed if someone says, don't worry about it, that doesn't help at all? I'm really worried about this. Well, don't worry about it. Well, thank you very much. That is really helpful. <laughs> don't think about a purple elephant. Okay, try not. I think the key to Philippians 4 is actually Philippians 3. 
Paul here talks about the way he approached his life in Philippians 3. Look, look at verse 12 through 14 of Philippians 3. He says this, he says, not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect. I'm in verse 12 here. But I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, what is that? I'm forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then notice verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this because Paul's saying that he's living with Christ in the now, but he's pressing on towards the not yet. We live in a broken world now. And even if your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, just because you're free from the penalty of sin does not mean that you're free from the presence of sin. So if you struggle with anxiety, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a sinner. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are a failure. It doesn't mean that you're not praying the right way. It might just mean that you're living in the now, looking forward to the resurrection in the not yet. Pressing towards that upward call, that one day when you won't struggle anymore, that one day when you'll be completely healed, that one day when you're gonna be set free from this broken world. And we look forward to that day, amen? And so here's the choice. Either anxiety is an obstacle that you have to solve now, or what if you reframed it? The thing about anxiety is an opportunity. And more specifically, an opportunity, a daily opportunity for spiritual growth. God can use the things that cause you worry and fear and anxiety to drive you to him and if you view it in the healthy way that it can be, it can help you to grow in your walk with the Lord. Now, that's not to say that what you're going through when you're anxious is not a form of suffering. I never wanna belittle that or to treat it like it's not a big deal because, hey, at least you're growing spiritually. It is tough. But it can also be an opportunity. So Paul here deals with anxiety, this daily pursuit not letting it overrule your life. But then we want to talk about this incredible promise. Look in verse seven, the promise. We'll skip six and, and come back to it. But look at this promise, verse seven. He says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise. There's this peace of God now, when we talk about Jesus at church, we will talk about what we often call the gospel. This idea that we are separated from God because of our sin, and that's why we needed Jesus to come and to die on the cross in our place, that through his sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross, that our sins could be completely forgiven, we could be renewed, made whole, that in Jesus' resurrection, we would have the promise that one day we will rise, that one day we will be with Jesus forever and ever. And that is the power of the gospel. And we offer it to all of you to say, if you haven't, if you, haven't ex ex you know, experienced peace with God, it can only come through Jesus. And there is a peace with 
God, but what we fail to also recognize is there is the peace of God. And the promise here, Paul is saying, is that there is a peace of God. And he says this peace is, well, I love how he says it, it surpasses all comprehension. You know what that means? That means at least one of two things, if not both. It means, one, we can't fully understand this peace of God. You could try to articulate it, but it, it's hard to articulate. It, it's like you just, you just experience. I mean, I, I cannot explain to you electricity, but I've just stuck my finger in that socket over there. I would experience it fully, right? Beyond comprehension. But not only that, it's beyond our power. We're not talking about some kind of, hey, just think positive thoughts, be happy. No, no, no. This is a supernatural peace of God, and I love this, that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that to guard is a military term? It's the idea of this watchman on a wall who's standing his post, being vigilant, protecting the people under his care. That's what it says about the peace of God. This Holy Spirit-driven, supernatural peace of God that can't fully be articulated but can be fully experienced beyond our human power In Christ, it will guard your hearts and minds. Isn't that amazing? But you know, it also says that it comes through Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, you will never experience the peace of God. I think one of the things that this text does for us, especially when you're going through difficult times, anxious times, worrisome times, It gives us this incredible promise that we need to cling to, and it's this promise. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That's the goal that I can get to the point where I can say, hey, because of Christ, I know that no matter what I go through, what I walk through, what trial I face, Jesus is enough. The goal here is not for you to live an anxious life free life. Jesus did not live an anxious, free life. The point is for you to get to the saying that you believe that Jesus is enough. No matter what you go through, he's enough. And that's the incredible promise found through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So we we deal with anxiety, this daily burden some more than others, based on a whole host of factors. Some of y'all, just based on personality, you tend to be more worriers by nature than others. Some of you have experienced significant trauma that has induced anxiety, even to the clinical side at times. But there's this promise of the peace of God through Christ. Let's talk about the process. What do we do? What, what, how do we think? What are, what are things we can do to respond to live in this peace of God. And I think in verse six, he he starts talking about some of the things that we are asked to do. I mean, he does say, don't be anxious about anything, and here's the contrast, but in everything, and then he gives us a couple words, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He uses three different words for prayer. Now, maybe he's just using them synonymously. They all mean the same thing. Hey, we need to be praying people. But it's interesting when you look at those three words to see what they mean. The first word for prayer is a word that means 
coming before the Lord. It's a general word that, that means prayer, something that we as followers of Jesus should be doing, praying to the God, coming before God. The second word that he, that he uses that is translated, at least in my English translation, is translated as pleading. It's a word that means a specific request. I love that, that God wants you to bring specific requests to him. Isn't it amazing that God can somehow look at eight billion people and know all the specific needs and requests that we have? And the, and the third word is a word that is translated, um, I think, request for us in the English, but it, it literally means demands. Isn't that odd? Because we think, well, who am I to demand anything of God? But that's what the text says, that, that we're moved from these general prayers to these specific needs to even these urgent demands. God, please move in this way. And to do so with a spirit of thanksgiving because we know that God is at work. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. This is an amazing verse. It says, cast all of your anxieties on him. Now that word cast is a fishing term. In the Bible times, they didn't fish with a rod and reel. They, they cast with a net. You may have seen videos or pictures of this where they you know, would take this big circle net that was weighted and they would literally throw it. They would cast it. And I love the picture here. First Peter says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Isn't that amazing? God cares for you more than you care for you. And he wants you to be honest with him. I think sometimes in our kind of, hey, we want to appear to be successful and not let him see us sweat and don't want to admit we have problems or we think, you know, God will be mad if I'm honest with him. God wants you to be honest with him. God wants you to be ruthlessly honest with him. God wants you to bring to him your hurts and your worries and your fear and all these anxieties to him. And the Bible's filled with that. We're to pray to God. I love this. Charles Stanley gave this quote. Logan uh, did a, Logan Grantham did a, our staff prayer time this week and he used this quote. I thought it was great. I want to give it to you guys. Charles Stanley, this is what he said. The shortest distance between our problems and their solutions is the distance between our knees and the floor. Isn't that good? And we're to come to him with these problems. I love, look at the Psalms. I mean, look how honest they are. Psalms 13, Psalm 13. He says, how long, Lord, Will you forgive me forever? You ever felt like that? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with, with grief in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I love that, that God wants us to be honest with him. And he can handle it. He wants us to be honest with him. So how do we, how do we move forward? I think this is a much longer conversation than we have time today. And I don't know what your journey needs to look like as you walk with Jesus in your own anxiety. I do know that prayer is a central part of what we do. It's not the only thing we do. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. So taking care of your body, sleeping well, eating well, all contributes to helping in this area. Counselors would probably be a great help to a lot of you. We love to refer people to all kinds of wonderful counselors in our church. Medication may be something that you need. I wouldn't presume to say that's for everybody, but for a lot of people, that could be really helpful. Sometimes Christians think, well, if I take meds, am I admitting that I don't have enough faith or something? And I don't think that's the case at all. I love what a counselor told our staff 
about how to think about medicine. I love this. Medication may keep you from drowning, but you still have to learn to swim to the shore. And medication could play a big role while you learn other ways to properly handle anxiety. So let's talk about three anchoring practices. These are kind of like habits. And then we're gonna have a time of prayer. Number one, if you wanna turn the volume of anxiety down, you may not be able to click off the station, but you can turn it down. One thing you could do is to pray and learn to pray with surrender. Now, we say pray all the time, but prayers of surrender. We tend to start with prayers of avoidance, don't we? God, don't let this happen. God, say, you know, make it the doctor doesn't say this. God, don't let this happen to me. God, protect my finances. God, help my child. You know, we start with prayers of avoidance and those are good and, and can be good and we all do them and should do them and the scriptures fill with examples of asking God for things. Nothing wrong with that. But did you know there is such a power in moving from, from prayers of avoidance to prayers of surrender? Jesus Christ in the garden, the night before he was betrayed and Judas would kiss him on the cheek and then he would go and stand before the Roman authorities and, of course, give his life for the world. Jesus Christ in that night of the garden, he started with a prayer of avoidance. God, make this cup pass from me. God, take away what I'm about to go through. But then where does he end up? With a prayer of surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. That's hard. I have a theory about why we see a lot of prosperity theology growing in the church today, particularly in America. Now, I have no data to back this up, but I do have a microphone. So this is my theory about it. Um, In prosperity theology, God is presented as this God whose number one job is to ensure you from earthly loss. And we're attracted to that. And I think a lot of people are attracted to that version of God because it helps them to avoid dealing with the real root of their anxiety. Jesus Christ constantly prepared his own disciples for earthly loss. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have anxiety. You will have worry. You will have fear. But be encouraged, I have overcome the world. There is such a beautiful surrender that says, God, may your will be done in my life, not mine. The second thing I would say to you as an anchoring practice is to get present. Now, not get presents. Those are awesome too. But get present. Here's what I mean. Jesus Christ, remember when he talked about anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount? Remember that, Matthew 6? And he's like, hey, Don't worry, anxiety. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink. That's what the whole world does that. No, 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 no. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers. See how God takes care of them. And Jesus says, you are way more valuable to God than a flower or a bird. And then notice how Jesus ends that in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Worry about today. 
I think what he's saying is that we need to be present. God, in this moment right now, what are you doing to be present? Not just to get in creation, to look at the birds and the flowers, but to, but to be in creation and notice what God is doing right now. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Don't let the what ifs overcome your life. Be present and find strength in finding presence of the Lord right now. Sometimes I'll, I'll wake up at 3 a.m. I don't know why, that's like the magic time that I wake up, not on purpose, Maybe when I'm going through my own bouts of, of struggle, I wake up at 3 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep. And for me, what I do is I, I just recite the 23rd Psalm over and over again. And just that present reminder, hey, right now, God, you are my shepherd. Right now, you are my shepherd. In this moment, you are my shepherd until I fall back asleep. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, um, he said our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow but only empties today of its strength. Be present. And here's the last thing I tell you. Learn to embrace community. To embrace community. I've said this a bunch with, when we're teaching through the New Testament. A lot, not all, but a lot of the commands in the New Testament are given in the second person plural, which means that if Paul knew how to talk right, he would say y'all. That's what he would say. Hey, y'all, y'all don't be anxious. Y'all come to God in prayer. Y'all pray and plead and make your request and be known to God. What he's saying is that a lot of the commands in the New Testament are given to a group of people in a community of faith called the church to love one another and pray with one another and forgive one another and bear one another's burdens. And that's what we're called to be and do as a church. You're not called to do this on your own. You're not called to with your own strength and might. You're called to to be strong enough to admit that you need help. And that's what the gift of the church is. I fear that a lot of people, especially the church as large as John's Ferry, I I fear that a lot of people think about church like we're a a subway. Been in New York City, jumped on a subway. Thousands of people, all heading in the same direction, alone. AirPods on, staring at the floor, keeping themselves. And I fear that that's what church becomes for people. Big rooms, big people, all heading in the same direction, alone. But the real gift of the church is that we are a family with brothers and sisters. We got some crazy uncles here. Gathered around tables. We're called to laugh with one another and cry with one another and bear one another's burdens and to be a community of faith, a family. That's what we wanna do in this moment. We wanna cast our anxieties to the Lord and to pray for you. We've done this all morning long. It's been really powerful just to watch people respond. And here's what we're gonna ask you to do. If you're, if you're new to church, this is gonna be a new experience for you. I would ask that no one leaves. I don't care what you have on your schedule, it's not as important as what God wants to do in this moment right now. And here's what we're gonna have you do. I'm gonna ask for a lot of you to come and pray, to, to get up out of your seat and to come to this altar. We have a little kneeling pads, so you can pray at those and just talk to the Lord. Another option is that we're gonna have several of, our, several of our ministers and pastors around the room, whichever one's closest to you, 
we would love to pray for you. We don't have time. I wish we did to hear your whole story, but you might just wanna say something like, hey, uh, my name is, and just introduce yourself real quick and say, hey, I, I need some prayers for my family right now. And we'd love to just say a short prayer over you. It's not weird, it's not spooky. It is the, is the gift of community. Now you can stay there and pray in your seat if you want, pray for others, that's awesome. I would love to see if maybe you're sitting beside someone, y'all can just pray together out loud for one another. Maybe you know a burden, maybe there's someone two rows over from you that's a friend of yours and you know what they're going through, you just wanna walk over there, hey, can I pray for you real quick? Whatever you wanna do, you do what God's calling you to do. Just don't be so proud that you think somehow you don't have your own struggles or burdens. We all have struggles. This is a community of honesty where we wanna bring our burdens to the Lord and allow other people to join this journey with us. So I'm gonna pray for you, and then when I say amen, um, for those of you who wanna get up, just get up, come, pray, move around, get prayed for. If you don't wanna get up, stay where you are, but I really wanna ask for a lot of you to, to physically do something as a way of bringing your burden to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. And God, you're enough. And Lord, we thank you for this peace of God that surpasses all comprehension, all understanding. And in this moment, God, would you guard our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Help us to bear one another's burdens in this moment, this holy moment. And we ask for you to speak and to move and to comfort in the name of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.